0: This episode of Dana Being Dana is brought to you, in part, by the Wright Center for Women's Health, providing personalized, luxury health care.
1: Hello, and welcome to Dana Being Dana. I am Dana Michelle, and I'm thrilled you're with us. My show is all about different aspects of the human connection, things that bring us together and living life intentionally. What better connector is there than sex? I believe that there are too many adults out there not having good sex. It has been proven that good sex makes one happier and healthier. And it is my intention for this episode to get you out of your head and into your bed. Joining me now are Dr. Simone Lewis, Dr. Lee Butler, and Dr. Alexis Dunn. How are you all doing? Fantastic.
2: Doing very well.
1: Amazing. Wise philosophers, salt and pepper, once said, let's talk about sex. So here we go. First question I have for you all is, do you think that people are having, most adults, do you think people are having good sex on a regular basis?
3: I would say no. And I actually did a little research before. Um, So just talking with friends and things, you know, some people are just not, they're not open to it and they don't talk about it very much. And looking into some studies before I came in, 47% 47% of women say that they have sexually satisfying sex lives. Only 47 Only 47%. Hmm.
4: I'm surprised it's that much.
3: Yeah. <laughs> Men is a little bit higher at 51%. So I was surprised. I would think that more people would. There's a lot of people out here, I think, not having good sex. And I think when you
1: are having good sex, there can be jealousy associated mm-hmm. with having good sex. I think... Um, uh, what, I, what I call slut shaming or, or jealousy with people who are, are having good sex. Do you think that's true? I don't think
4: that um, the media has served us well with objectifying bodies and just sex in general. So I think people are coming to sex with um, an idea of what it should be and they're not being present in the act because sex is a lot of things. Um, so I think that if people just engage in loving their body and Mm. um, grounding themselves in their body and understanding what's pleasurable to them and what's Mm -hmm. pleasurable to their partner. If you start there, you'll have better sex.
1: Mm -hmm. And I think what's awesome about this group of people who are here joining me, you all, all doctors, we've got a doctor in medicine with Dr. Dunn, a doctor in psychology with Dr. Lewis, and a doctor in religion um, with Dr. Butler. Once you get past the reproductive phase, what is the purpose of sex?
2: To unite us. Say it again. To unite us. Yeah. Mm. We are supposed to be relational beings. And sex as a drive, sex as an enjoyable experience, is one of those things that calls us out of our isolation and puts us in harmony with one another. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is that experience of bearing your soul, uh, of, of being
1: the most vulnerable. The
2: most vulnerable. I mean, that's what true intimacy is about, to really be engaged vulnerably with another person so that you are bearing your soul without shame, Mm -hmm. as well as um, without any intimidation or hesitation. Mm -hmm. And so sex is to bring us together and make us more human.
1: Mm -hmm. Can you talk about intimacy as it relates to sex?
2: Sure. Most folks confuse intimacy with sex, they conflate the two. Mm -hmm. And intimacy really is about bearing your soul to another, being completely yourself. All those things that you would normally hide, you are now exposing. It's that whole idea of being naked before another. And so intimacy really is sharing the deepest part of yourself. It is sharing your core self, and it is being in relationship with another, receiving another, not shaming them, Mm -hmm. but receiving them and uh, that's the whole idea of becoming one flesh Mm
4: -hmm. and that's why the shaming piece is so interesting because when you say burying yourself you'd be surprised how many adult women I mean I can expect like you know teenagers when they have sex they don't they're not completely naked (laughs) You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Their socks can be on or they're, you know, they, they were doing it in a T-shirt. You know what I mean? But to, um, because they're embarrassed about this or they're embarrassed about that. And even in marriages, some husbands are, you know, um, concerned because they want their partner to be free. And she's got all these hangups, right? Mm-hmm. She's got all these insecurities about what she sees mm-hmm. in the magazines, how she doesn't compare to what's in the magazine or what's in the porn or whatever. So um, that's what I talk about, getting comfortable with your body. How do mm-hmm. you do that? How do you love your body, you know, because a lot of that anxiety is in your head. Right. How do you come back and love your body? And so for me, what I found is just things like, um, using your body, like yoga, you know what I mean? Like really, what does it feel like?
1: All the muscles of your body, to engage Exploring. all of your body. Yeah, right. yeah. yeah. No, no, you're right. No, I, I think that's great. And it, I think that's what's so important about being in tune with your body. Mm-hmm. And like you said, with yoga and, and Loving and appreciating, appreciating your body your appreciating body. your body holistically yes you know whether you 've had babies right whether you 've had scars, surgical scars, mm-hmm. um, just all the things that have happened to you, you may be born with deformities or complexities or whatever, but but appreciating all of that because I think that impacts how you feel about yourself and how you feel about yourself is what you bring. Uh, to the table. To a sexual experience. I was <laughs> right. going to say, to the table.
3: Right? Because it's all about your confidence, right? So mm-hmm. I feel like women that are happy with themselves, they don't have to look perfect, right? But they have to be confident and yep. feel that they are sexual beings. That's true. Or they're never, ever going to be able to have that satisfaction and be able to have that intimacy that, you know, to get to that point and be able to enjoy another person.
1: And that, I think that's so true. And I think a lot of times... For example, having children, Mm -hmm. changes, all of the changes associated with having children to your body and how you feel about your body can impact your sexual experience. Do you think that that's true?
4: Depending on how you frame that in your mind. I mean, when you think about the power of being able to create a baby, you know what I mean? It's like, Mm -hmm. what do you say to yourself? I mean... um, you know, to, yeah. to hate the scar, or, right? Or you know, all the changes that happen. Yeah, you the know stretch what I mean? marks. Yeah, and, and that can and all be those seen as, as beautiful.
3: Right. And, Absolutely.
4: You know, yeah. Just in really loving um, women. I, and you know, with all the stuff that's going on with sex right now in porn, it's really misogynistic. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? So we really want to come to a place where we appreciate the divinity and the power and the and the just beauty right. of being a woman right. and being able to create life is uniquely amazing.
1: feminine, yeah. you know. I remember I think having that kids be and I was like, what are we gonna do today? Like, what else are we gonna do? Like mm-hmm. it's, you feel like you can conquer the world, but mm-hmm. you can be made to feel based on what you see um, in the media, right. what people tell you, mm-hmm. you know, how your partner covers you in that experience is, mm-hmm. is very important. And mm-hmm. a lack thereof mm-hmm. can make you feel a very specific way um, sexually about your own sexuality and your place and role in that. How do you feel like, let's, let's go back a little bit, how do you feel like people form their early positions on sex? Um, where does that come from? Where is it formed? Whether it be religion, you know, for example, how do people form some of those early views on sex? And are they problematic as adults?
2: The, early, um, the earliest education Our earliest sex education comes from our parents. Mm -hmm. Uh, It begins from birth when we begin to dress our children in these different colors and we're socializing them to say here's where you belong and here's where you belong and these two don't come together and then we reach the point of where children are actually playing together until we reach a certain age and then they're split up because Boys are over here and girls are over here and you have these toys for you and these toys for you. And so we are socialized to be separate from one another. It's amazing that once it's time for us to get back together because our drives are pushing us that way, we don't know how Mm -hmm. because we've been socialized to be separate. And that becomes our early sex education, becomes our early uh, gender identities because we're pushed apart. And that's what makes our sex lives so complicated when we're adults, Mm -hmm. because we've spent so many years of being pushed apart, and then we become uh, adolescents and adults who are now supposed to move back together, but we move back together in dishonest ways because we've been socialized to be apart.
4: And and in some cases, it's just don't have sex, keep your legs closed, don't get pregnant by Mm -hmm. a certain, you know, if you get pregnant, you know, at 18, you know, you're ruined or, or whatever. Just all these horrible messages mm-hmm. about, um, at least for women, <laughs> at, right. you know, what, what yeah. I've been right. privy to, you know, about not really appreciating um, how pleasurable
3: mm-hmm.
4: it is, um, how it's something to look forward to. I mean, it was always something that was just demonized, I mean, mm-hmm. amongst my, my uh, friends, mm-hmm. you know, because that was the worst thing you could do was um, do it too early and the guys are going to talk about you or do it with too many, I mean, it was, it was just, there's just no positivity around mm-hmm. sex, um, around adolescence or even um, pre-adolescence.
1: I think which creates a ton of confusion for people
3: yeah.
1: uh, because they don't have guidance about how it can be a pleasurable experience mm-hmm. and a very human, vulnerable, intimate experience, mm-hmm. no matter what age, no matter with whom, um, but we place so much onto that particularly when kids don't get the talk per se. I think, mm-hmm. I think when you don't get the talk from your parents, mm-hmm. um, you're kind of left to your environment. So, and, and the problem with parents is that if your parents have had a traumatic experience, if you had a mother who was raped, mm. if you had a father who was sexually molested or raped, they bring those experiences to their children in very real ways that the children... So in other words, they pass down the trauma without really fully conceptualizing how for children, that experience um, can be very different. Mm-hmm. So, so what do you, what, can we talk about the exposure for children? Like what are they left with when they don't get the talk or a healthy talk from their parents? You know, what are they susceptible to in, in your experience with your patients, clients, students, um, when they don't get a proper foundation of, of what sex can be and, and what it should be? Pornography. You know, yeah. they'll, they'll learn so they're, they're from magazines
4: to... or they'll learn from their peers or from drinking games where they're doing, like, drinking ridiculous games. things. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? Because Ridic- they don't even know the power of the intimacy, what you're sharing. So they'll do these sex acts as a part of a game. Right. A part of a game. Yeah. You know, and, you know, it just gets lost. You know, and they don't mm-hmm. even expect it to be
3: great after that.
4: Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't
3: know what what is there to... And then they get guilted and shamed. Oh, yeah. And so oh, then they yeah. grow up getting... They get slut-shamed. And so... They associate sex with being bad, and so then they can never really get to that part of their brain that kind of starts off a healthy sexual experience. Mm-hmm. Or you it's something
4: you do with anybody and everybody, right. or you right. do on a first date, or you do, I mean, you know. Right. They, they never really get to that place
1: where Mm -hmm. it's about love,
4: right? Mm -hmm. I mean, because it used to be called making love, right? Right. I mean, you (laughs) (laughs) to. I mean, not with this
1: music these days,
4: (laughs) (laughs) but, but I think there is the need to have love. I don't care if it's a one night stand. I mean, you love, and then you're able to
1: enjoy that experience better. I think the intimacy as, as Dr. Butler said earlier, um, can really unlock some of those emotions and some of that connection. Like you said, that intimacy, I think makes the experience more pleasurable definitely for others. Mm-hmm. So what advice do you have from, for some of your patients or clients? Because I'm sure people have come to you in this realm, in the field that you are in. Um, what, what advice do you have for people in your field um, when it comes to sexual frustrations or complications or issues?
3: I mean, there are a lot of issues that we could talk about. So
1: in the medical in the
3: medical spectrum, because I mean, well, if we go over kind of the stages of sex, and this is kind of a male-based so, but this is so there's the desire, right? And so that kind of comes from our past issues, how we view sex, and that starts in a part of your brain called the hypothalamus, and that's what makes you. It's almost like your libido, right? So that's that's the first stage, and then you get to arousal, and for men, that's having an erection for females that's you know having some vasodilation getting a little a little a little more moist down oh. there right <laughs> <laughs> um, and so that's kind of like you know something's going to happen and but you have to get to that point to get to the next steps which is that there's a plateau uh, stage where you are having sex and you're about to have an orgasm orgasms the fourth stage. And then there's resolution. So at every stage of this cycle, there can be problems. Mm-hmm. So there could be a problem with desire, a libido, you know, there could be a medication or a trauma that you experience um, the arousal, you know, women that are menopausal, women that have hormonal issues, they may not be able to have some of the stimulation that most women can have. Men can have issues with their erections. So it's like every stage of this cycle, there can be a problem. So generally, I kind of try to tease out where the problem is and then offer them some guidance. And if you don't ask, they're not gonna tell you. So just trying to start the conversation, for instance, yesterday I saw a woman that just went through menopause, so I said, how's the sex? And she looked at me like, what are you talking about? I'm like, well, is sex pleasurable for you? And she said, well, not really, because, you know, it's kind of drier down there. It's a little bit more painful. And so then that's what started our conversation. And I think she was surprised that I asked that. But at the end of the day, she was happy that I gave her, you know, just the freedom to express herself and gave her some tips. So,
4: And I really appreciate how you said this is from a man's perspective. Yes. I mean, this is like medicine. It's from right. a man's perspective. Mm-hmm. And I don't think there's enough attention um, to women's pleasure, mm-hmm. you know, like you said about um, like, then you have orgasm. Like that's always going to happen with a woman. That is not always going right. to happen. You exactly. Know I mean? It's like um, I think there's like I think it's like less than fifty percent of women like always have mm-hmm. um, an orgasm mm-hmm. with with intercourse, and mm-hmm. that's usually like clitoral mm-hmm. versus vaginal, and there's mm-hmm. a difference, right? You know, mm-hmm. but I think um, it's important for you know us to think about it from a body, a body standpoint. Mm-hmm. Because I, don't, I mean, it's like, I have experience working in Reiki, which is um, an alternative treatment, and it kind of brings in the universal energies, and you use that, and, it, and you can heal your body, emotional, physical. It's kind of, you know, woo land, but it works. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I um, have found that you can have you can have blockages okay oh yeah and that's due to whatever how you learned about sex what you saw how you were I mean there's just mm-hmm. all kinds of things that where we have hang-ups mm-hmm. and so I have found it's been helpful for me and you know I recommend it to all my friends to clear that with Reiki clear the blockages clear the blockages
1: because I think a lot of times sex can be very mental Yes, and that's where your blockages can come from. That's the pleasure. You want to be in
4: your body. Yes,
1: being in your body. In your body. Being in that experience. Mm -hmm. um, I appreciate you all for Mm -hmm. helping me uh, with this episode because I think this information helps others. Whether it's religious, medical, therapeutic, I think there's a lot of blockages that people are experiencing. Mm -hmm. So we're going to continue this conversation with some other friends of mine who are going to join me for this. So don't go away. We'll be right back.
0: Stay informed with NCTV17 News Update. These free videos sent straight to your email, summarize the latest information, and show you what's happening around town. Visit nctv17.com slash subscribe to sign up now. This episode of Dana Being Dana is brought to you in part By the Wright Center for Women's Health, providing personalized luxury health care.
1: Welcome back to Dana Being Dana, where we are still talking sex. Do you have a healthy sex life? If not, why? Is it your partner's fault? Or are you all in your head? Joining me now are Dr. Karen Trimble, Alium, Abigail T.U. Kemp, and Dr. Mark Gomez. Joining me for this conversation, I'm so happy you all are with me. How are y'all doing? I'm
0: doing great. Fantastic, awesome. Great great topic.
1: Well, Tina Turner, the wise philosopher, (laughs) once said, "What's love got to do, got Got to to do do with it?" it? Mm
2: -mm -mm. So,
1: what say
5: you? Does love have anything to do with people having good sex? I feel like. Uh, love has some to do with it but I think trust when two people trust each other they can communicate about their wants and needs and and be able to accommodate each other in that way. As a therapist do you feel like that is an issue between clients of yours when it comes to sexual pleasure? I do Um, I I have a lot of couples uh, therapy sessions that um, actually when it comes to the conversation about sex it almost you can you can see them kind of pull themselves back and get reserved by it, and they kind of become self-conscious. And I, I notice their body behaviors and they they put their hands, you know, um, closed up and they kind of inch away from each other. And so right there and then I know that there is something wrong in their in their sex relationship. And um, so how do we resolve that communication? And I think um, people being open with what they want and need could, could really go a long way. Who do you think is having better sex? Married people or single people?
0: Mm, <laughs> Ooh, that's, well, that's interesting... A, that's, that's a good one. You know, when I think, yes. about, when I think about sexual behavior, there's, there's no norm for sexual behavior. We have to remember that sex, in, a, in its nutshell, it's the basic human function. I mean, it's a basic behavior, but it's not basic. So, for example, we know that sex... Has a purpose that at its rarest, as raw form, it's a survival of our species. Mm-hmm. But then it's so more reproduction. That's the future of the human race. Mm-hmm. But it's so many. It's so much deeper than that. Where we can actually have a, it's like a flood of bio, biology and psychology. From a biological standpoint, you have these these neurohormones. Your body gets flooded with these with these hormones that that create arousal. And then from a psychology standpoint, we're looking at emotions. We're looking at relationships and other kind of things.
5: We're also looking at um Chemistry and biology in the brain. There's a lot yeah. of dopamines yeah. that are being released. You know that makes you feel good.
0: Dopamine, oxytocin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When you get ready to get ready for an orgasm. So there's, a, there's I think this, the research behind sex is just fascinating because you're really seeing an explosion of really what does the science say, but how do you make the science also go with the reality?
6: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think in terms of people having a hard time talking about it, right? You know, Abby saying that her clients might freeze up. Um, that people don't know how to talk about sex, and I won't throw all the blame on religion. I study religion for a living. It's a wonderful and complicated thing, but I think it has historically set the stage for um, people to not know how to talk about it. They know the list of don'ts that they that their tradition or that they think their tradition prescri- prescribes for them.
1: Religion is, you know, right. for example, is prescribing of list of don'ts. Mm
3: -hmm. Right.
6: And then so you can, you know, avoiding evil, right? Quote, unquote, because I'm not saying everything on that list is necessarily evil. That's a Mm -hmm. strong word, right? But the idea is, you know, how do you pursue the good? That's a really important piece of say Christian ethical discourse, other ethical discourses and without the language to pursue the good, good sex, right? Not only what's morally good about it, but what's, you know, what is pleasurable is also morally good. So I've been really intrigued by feminist Christian theologians really looking at that question to say, you know, it's an absolute moral good for a woman to obtain sexual pleasure. The tradition has ignored that. Her pleasure was not necessary to the moral goodness of the act, but it's absolutely necessary for the quality of her life, right? And her relationships and her sex life. So I think, you know, turning the focus there from a religious standpoint is really interesting. And those are the kind of conversations we should be doing more mm-hmm. often.
1: None of y'all answer my question. I just want to say that. Just <laughs> to put that there. Married there. people or single oh, yeah. people? Sorry, yeah, I mean, well, I, but I do think, you know, I have found that a lot of married people aren't having good sex. And it it goes against some of my own thoughts and views on the topic, But just because I feel like if you've committed, if you've made lifelong vows to someone, Mm -hmm. you know, before God, your creator, and that's not good, you owe it to yourself and the partner that you're with to do whatever you need to do to make your sexual experience what it is. Mm -hmm. Whether it's you reconcile things in your religion that you've had problems with, Mm -hmm. whether you go see a doctor for any any sexual issues that may be uh, impacting your experience, or you go see a therapist to, to deal with traumas and things that you have. But I think that that is so important because you lack what single people have, which is the variety of if this is not good in this space, you know, I can shop elsewhere. Right, right. According to Time Magazine, um, Time.com specifically, the average adult enjoys sex 54 times a year or a little more than once a week, while married couples under the same roof don't fool around quite as much. Um, Understandably with kids and families still, they have sex about 51 times a year. So who do you feel like is having better sex, men or women?
0: So you know what's interesting is that when you look at it statistically, couples in their 30s and 40s have probably the most robust sex. 30s Uh, and 40s. 30s and 40s have the most Most robust robust. sex. Mm. But it doesn't mean that sex can't be... Enjoyed throughout the lifespan. Actually, when I think about my older patients in my practice that are sexually active, it tend, tends to take on this connotation of a more deeper meaning uh, as you get older. And maybe it's from a whole 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 host of things, including just as, as our body goes through changes in physiology, also changes in our environment, our health that can really that can really affect the intimacy factor of sex.
5: Mm-hmm. It is said in psychology that the brain doesn't really fully develop and connect until the age of 25. And so I think, you know, that the emotion and the biological makeup of your brains and experiencing sex, that, that might have like a, a stronger, more emotional um, impact on, on the two people that are involved. I think that is so important
1: um, and interesting. Do, do you feel like you have patients or clients who experience conditions that impact their sexuality.
5: Absolutely. Um, I have clients that have gone through trauma, whether it's physical abuse, sexual abuse, and, and so it really hinders them from, um, from feeling pleasure out of it. It's an automatic response for them to feel fear almost, and anxiety, and, and kind of um, tense up. So their, bo- their body never really relaxes. And, and and so that plays a role. So past traumas that they've had
1: mm-hmm. really play a part and, and break down in an intimate way with their ability to connect with others.
5: Yes, and even emotional trauma, right? If somebody who was in a relationship who was emotionally abused and used sex as a, as a means to control the other person, that can still play a role. Yeah, yeah. Mark, can you talk mm-hmm. about, about some of the physical or medical issues
1: that that patients may come to you with when it comes to sex and and some of those yeah i'd be more
0: more than happy um there's a whole slew of sexual disorders that that we see in clinical practice including most commonly for my men we look at erectile dysfunction which Mm -hmm. is the chronic inability to achieve or maintain an erection we also see other things as well too we see um um penetration disorder uh where the act of the physical act of penetration uh, actually is very painful for women. We see low sexual drive disorders as well, too, where somebody has low sexual drive over a long period of time. And then we even see some cases of what are called the paraphilias, uh, either, where, either pedophilia or, fe- or fetish um, kind of, um, fetish behaviors that they like that can affect somebody else as well, too. So, And that's obviously an abnormal response. But I want to piggy- piggyback on what you said. There's certainly a distress. If sex becomes distressful, um, or compulsive, where somebody gets aroused by just having sex—that's that's a problem. So we talk about uh, different kind of ways how to mitigate that, and working with your sexual ther- sex therapist mm-hmm. or your doctor is important. But we want people to be comfortable in approaching us to help them out with their health problems.
1: Do you have people that come to you with respect to having difficulty reconciling sex and religion?
6: Um, you know, not not on not outside of a context in which we're talking about that already, but I've been struck when I teach, you know, college students a marriage relationship sexuality course, um, I'm really, I I guess I expect, you know, younger people than me who didn't grow up with the kind of Catholic childhood that I grew up with, I expect them to be more open, you know, and everyone, you know, digital, you can learn everything on the internet and they do, but what they're learning and putting it into a context that makes sense of their lives, I think they struggle with. I think what a lot of students do, is separate often their religious faith, if they have one, if they profess one, from their sex lives. Again, because of that list of don'ts. It's like, well, that kind of lives in this world where I go to church on Sunday with mm-hmm. my parents and my grandparents and like, um, and then, you know, sex is something separate because they don't see a way for those two worlds to meet. And so I, I find it really interesting to say, you know, there's resources across religious tradition That aren't just the list of prohibitions, there's really rich resources on commitment and love and friendship that you might find Mm. really helpful in figuring out this like dating hookup world, like what, you know, navigating that, like what are your values and standards, right? You don't have to accept the list that's handed to you necessarily, ask questions about it, investigate, find out if that's really what your tradition says. Because traditions are wildly diverse. Somebody else in that tradition said something else. Go Mm -hmm. find out what it
1: is. That's so true. When it comes to sexual incompatibility, Mm -hmm. because I think that's where a lot of couples struggle, is that they realize that they're just sexually incompatible. Mm -hmm. Uh, What what advice do you have for people who are sexually incompatible with, with a mate?
0: I think that for me, I kind of look at it as like a, a red light, yellow light, green light. So I actually, when I have couples that I play a couple of my clinical practice that we manage for a whole host of things. But when I sit down with the husband and the wife, um, I, we talk about kind of like, all right, we have to be comfortable talking about this. So let's talk about maybe past experiences. Let's talk about things that you will never do. That's your reds. And then things that maybe your yellows are kind of things that you might be a little uneasy about and then your greens are where you're, where, where you're, what you're comfortable doing. So I always try to start where somebody's at and meet them on that, but it takes a while to peel back some of those layers to get them to open
5: up. Mm-hmm. Sex is a very difficult conversation. So, yeah. but we, when you talk about somebody with a, a sexual dysfunction of some sort of um, bio, biological um, dysfunction, how do, you, how do you address that with a partner, you know? Like, uh, I've come across clients who, who've used um, utilized toys and the other partner will get insulted by it. And so how, how can one person navigate that?
0: It's very tough. We have to yeah. somehow come to a, an understanding. And that may take multiple visits mm-hmm. in the practice to, to kind of pull that together. But I think this is where couples, as you mentioned in your question, couples need to hopefully be open about it. Sex is still something that a lot of couples th- that have been married for years or people that are going to get married, it's still a difficult topic to talk about.
5: Mm-hmm. And I think you have to kind of check your ego. Yes. Checking and your pride. Door. Absolutely. At Checking the bedroom. At the, at the bed.
1: At the bedroom, yeah.
5: It at is not. You know, I think predominantly it's focused on male satisfaction. And so... And I think that's the way media and, and like magazines, mm-hmm. pornography, um, all
1: of those things are set up to be male-pleasing mm-hmm. and, and male-gratifying. Uh, but that's not really how realistically, you know, how it plays out in the natural discourse of things. No. Yeah. And I
6: think people try to, you know, maybe falsely live up to those stereotypes, oh, totally. right? You know, a male college student may think, I have to represent myself as being more sexually active than I even am, just yes. to impress my friends. Mm-hmm. And women say, well, I have to represent, represent myself as less sexually active because my reputation will suffer. And I'm like, yes. it's the 21st century. Wow, really? You know, that, that's still an issue is kind of mind-boggling to mm-hmm. me, but, but it's real, right? So the sense of living up to some ideal that nobody's really living up to you know once you, once you talk openly about that people feel comfort like oh I'm not the only one okay. who isn't having this fabulous sort yeah. of life that looks well, like a rom-com. RONNIE right? you hit on some of
0: the anxiety and anxiety doesn't benefit men or women when you're talking about sexual activity you know I think about the young men that I see in my practice they may have they may have anxiety related to okay penis size mm-hmm. um, performance duration mm-hmm. Um, uh, premature ejaculation. There's a whole bunch of different themes that we see in our men and women. It's different.
1: Yeah. So, what advice do you have for people who want to have a better, healthy sex life but don't?
5: Well, I think Dr. Gomez' um, advice with the the green, the yellow, and the red light actually is a good way to start the conversation. Like, what is a go for you um, with you and your partner? You know, like for. I'm not going to talk about me. (laughs) Okay, You can talk about (laughs) you. you. Okay, so what's a goal for you and then figure out what's a goal for your partner, okay? And then does that match up? And then what is a a red light for you, you know? Being comfortable having those conversations. And then can your partner respect that? Yeah, yeah. And can you respect your partner's red lights? Yeah.
0: And I think for me, it's, it's just continuing to build and, and follow up. With any kind of medical condition that I see in my practice, even if we're dealing with sexual-related disorders, mm-hmm. I want to make sure that somebody still follows up with me. But it takes time to build that relationship and that mm-hmm. comfort. I know it's, it's a difficult topic to talk about, but as a physician, I say no topics are off-limits. It's yes. your health and your well-being, and I have to try to stay true to that.
6: Yeah, and I think if, you know, if sort of the study of religion can offer any insight here, it's that we think of sex as purely and only this personal private thing and therefore becomes your personal private problem when things aren't going well or when you're not experiencing what you would like to experience. But the, you know, just realizing sex is social, just like every other human thing that people do and realizing how that influences maybe the context in which you're trying to achieve, you know, Mm -hmm. a a goal with your partner. Mm -hmm. um, Just, you know, there's a history and a a social nature to all of it. Mm -hmm. That's true. And I think when you get into those social settings, you
1: learn, you know, Kind of what, what you're missing, you know, mm-hmm. what what you're getting, what you're not getting, mm-hmm. and I think it's very important to be in tune with those things. Know, it,
0: the, oh, sorry. Dana, I was going to say everybody can get better at sex. Always, <laughs> yeah, It's like it. it's like what it's <laughs> sports. It's always improvement. Always improvement. It's true, and so that's what I tell to my patients all yeah. the time, and we kind of laugh about that, and then we try to get serious again. But uh, it's true.
1: <laughs> but I think the more comfortable you, you are with that, mm-hmm. the better your sex life can be. And I just think, particularly when you're married, because you've committed to this person, this partner, this relationship, whatever that looks like, you owe it to yourself and your partner, I think, um, to maximize that opportunity because you only have one life to live. When it comes to good sex, you don't know what you're missing, but life is too short to be missing out. If more people were having good sex, I believe divorce rates would be lower, and road rage may be non-existent. <laughs> if nothing else, do it to keep our roads safe. <laughs> yes. Thank you to my guests Bravo. me, Bravo. for this very important <laughs> episode, very sexy episode. Hopefully you have been entertained, if not encouraged or inspired. I do not promise to be an expert, nor do I have all the answers. I'm just Dana, being Dana. See you next time.